Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 13. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 13. As we're going through the book of 2 Samuel, I want to remind you that this is a book of consequences. And all throughout the book, you could see the consequences uh, toppling one domino and then another domino and then another domino, which shows that all of our actions, whether they're good or whether they're bad, all have consequences. And now we're reaching a segment within the reign of David and the life and ministry of David that we're going to see a series of about 10 messages that are all chain linked together. That one message is going to lead to another one, to another one. Almost at the end of every message, you could just see those dreaded words to be continued. And you have to wait to see what's going to happen. Or you could read the Bible, whichever one works. But each one of them are going to be connected together. All of them are going to be dealing one with another. As we've already seen so far in the life and ministry of David, is that we could see that David had sinned with Bathsheba. And this is going to have some lasting consequences. That we could see that it led to the death of Uriah. Afterwards, when the baby was born, David had lived with this sin without dealing with it for nine months. Finally, the baby was born, and Nathan the prophet was sent by God to put his bony finger in David's face and say, Thou art the man. Well, David did get right at that time, and he wrote Psalm 51, which is his prayer of getting right with God. But during that time, David pronounced a fourfold judgment upon the parable, the story that he heard, and that fourfold judgment was reflected upon him because he was the subject of it. And what we're going to find in the remaining part of 2 Samuel is this fourfold judgment, four deaths within David's family is going to be carried out. That first of all, the death of the child with Bathsheba. That child perished as part of the consequences of David's sin. Then we saw the rape of Tamar by Amnon. This is actually part of that consequences. That we could see it's not just death, but it's leaving a trail of ruin. It's destroying lives until finally we come to where we're at tonight. The second of this fourfold judgment, the death of Ammon. And if you don't mind, as we read what occurred and how it occurred, notice with me in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13, and notice with me in verse number 21. 2 Samuel chapter 13, and in verse 21, the word of God says this. But when King David heard of these things, the rape of Tamar, he was very wroth. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon 
because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal-Hazon, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, thy servant hath sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, Why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him, that he let Amnon and all of the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servant, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose. Every man get him upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass while they were in, that way, in the way that tidings came to David saying, Absalom had killed all the king's sons and there is not one of them left. Then the king arose and tear his garments and lay on the earth and all his servants stood by with their clothes rent. And Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have all have slain, <coughs> that they have slain all the young men of the king's sons. For Amnon only is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom hath this been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore let not my lord the king take this thing to, <coughs> let the thing to his heart. And think that all the king's sons are dead. For Amnon only is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young men that kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said unto the king, Behold, the king's sons come. As thy servant said, so it is. And it came to pass, as soon as he made an end of speaking, that behold, the king's sons came, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very sore. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Ammonahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 13? The book of 2 Samuel chapter 13, and notice a phrase that we find in verse number 22. 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 22. Notice the phrase, Absalom hated Amnon. Absalom hated Amnon. And with the Lord's help, we want to see that Absalom did indeed hate Amnon and what he did because of it and the consequences that will fall out. That Absalom hated Amnon. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would let this passage be clear. As we could see that sin makes things complicated. And that sins often compound other sins to make things even more complicated. We're asking, Lord, that we would be able to see ourselves as we truly are. That the Bible would be a reflection. And that you would examine us to see if there's anything in us that needs to be adjusted, needs to be fixed, needs to be confessed, needs to be dealt with, Lord. That we could stop any consequences that may be heading our path if we try to get them course corrected now. Lord, we're asking and expecting for you to do a work in our midst now. I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would go out. Your Holy Spirit would touch hearts. Your Holy Spirit would prepare hearts. And that you would let people be attentive and let them be seeking for what you would have them to do in accordance to this message. Again, fill me with your precious spirit that you get your own work accomplished now. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. What a powerful, hard, crash statement that is. Absalom hated, hated Amnon. Now the first thing we understand as we lead into here is that first of all that David failed to discipline Amnon. David failed to discipline Amnon. Notice if you don't mind in verse 21. But when King David heard of all these things, what things again? The rape of Tamar. To think that even David was fooled into playing a part. That Amnon had a friend named Jonadab who was a very subtle man. And Jonadab convinced Amnon who was not originally going to do any of this. But he convinced Jonadab to go to David and said, Oh, father, I'm sick and I'm dying. Oh, let Tamar come and bake me a cake and take care of me, please. And David didn't think anything of it. He just asked, can my sister take care of me? Sure, she's available. So he sends Tamar. David sends Tamar to this. And of course, Amnon was faking it. And in the midst of it, after she was cooking and making him a meal, she sent his servant, he sent the servants away. And then he forced himself upon his own sister. The news gets to David. And how does he respond? Well, he's angry. He's upset. And that's something about getting upset about. You should be upset. That's horrible. It's wicked. It should have never been done. But that's all that happened. David got upset. Period. The end. Nothing happened to him. A rapist walked free and was never punished. Someone will, may say, well, isn't, isn't God supposed to be a merciful God? God is a merciful God, but he is also a righteous God. And he demands that all sin is paid for. That's why Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. This is such an important idea here. David failed to discipline his child. He failed to correct Amnon. He failed to fix the situation. He did nothing about it. The book of Ecclesiastes, who by the way was written by Solomon, who had witnessed some of this. He was a young lad at this time. But the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 11 says this. Because sentence... Against an evil work 
is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. That is exactly what happened. What does it say again? Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because judgment was not done speedily, because it was not taken care of, what is happening is that the hearts of men, that's men plural, are now set to do evil. Not only did Amnon get away with it, and that can encourage more bad behavior, but it will affect other people. And that's exactly what happened. Once again, David made the mistake of not correcting this. Now, during this time, Absalom, who... who Tamar was his full sister. Amnon is his half-brother. They had the same father, but different mothers. Amnon, during this time, didn't speak to Amnon good or evil because he was waiting for David to do something about it. He was waiting for David to act, David to do something. And what Absalom did is he ended up keeping it all inside. A root of bitterness began to grow it was planted, watered, thought upon. Now, Amnon kept thinking about what happened. And he's looking at David. Why don't you do something? He looks at Amnon. He, no, he was never punished. And that root of bitterness springs up. And it begins to destroy him. Until he found himself hating Amnon. He hated Amnon. You see, it's one thing to hate the sin. And by the way, the sin of the rape of Tamar was wicked. And it was evil. And it's something that should be loathed. But we hate the sin and not the sinner. What happened is that Absalom began to hate the sinner. He began to hate the person. And it was all bottled up. What we understand is that if Absalom spoke to his brother, perhaps Amnon would have been put in his place of repentance. The Bible talks about in the book of Leviticus 19.17, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart, lest thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Basically what that verse is saying is that if you have a problem with someone, don't let it turn to hate. Talk to them and see if you could rectify it. The Bible talks about don't let the sun go down in thy wrath. That if something's bothering you, talk to the person. It may not get resolved, but you need to at least do that to get it off to your chest. To get it off, to work on it. Because if you don't, it will turn into bitterness and bitterness will destroy its own container. You can't keep it inside. By the way, the same thing's true about holding sin in. You hold sin in and you're not dealing with it at all. It will destroy you inside. It will change you. And we've been speaking about that especially a lot in Sunday school. That sin undealt with will change how people think. It will change how they behave. It change how they act. It changes them and they don't realize it's changing them. Absalom did not immediately hate Amnon. 
But over time, because it wasn't dealt with and it was burning up inside, it turned into hatred for the person and not the sin. Amnon, or Absalom, hated Amnon. For two years, nothing happened. For two years, David just let it go. For two years, it was whitewashed and set aside. Finally, we see this. Absalom kills Amnon. Absalom killed Amnon. What happened is that Amnon finally hatches a plan. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 23. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Belhazar, which is beside Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Now, back in those days, and even today, when it comes time to shear the sheep, it becomes a big thing, that you have all these workers to come and to shear the sheep. And you have to feed the workers, so you end up having a big celebration. It becomes an, a, a, a big deal for ranchers during this time. And so, as Absalom is saying, hey, the sheep shears are coming, he invited all of his brothers, all of David's sons, to come with him. He even tried to invite the king. Hey, king, why don't you come to my house and come to this big festival? Now, David saw something. He saw it here at this time. Notice what David said in response to this, verse 25. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all go down, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but he blessed him. What is happening is that Absalom says, Hey, you're the king. I know you're my dad. You're the king. You come to my house and I will take care of you. You will be my guest. And basically he's trying to get where David is underneath Absalom in appearance. And Absalom could go to his neighbors and say, hey, look, the king goes to my house. And basically, it's already at this time, David or Absalom's wanting more power and already trying to rebel against David. You'll see that unfold later on. David caught a glimpse of it and says, no, 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 it's not wise for me to go down. I'm the king. I need to allow people to come to me. I don't need to be going to them. But you can allow everyone else. And so what happened? Absalom went to David and said, well, what about Amnon? Can I have Amnon? David goes with a question, an obvious question. Verse number 26. Then said Absalom, if not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, why should he go with thee? David had a spark of a question. Wait a second. You want Amnon to go? Now, Absalom hasn't been telling people that he hates Amnon. But David, again, knowing his son, why do you want Amnon to go? Well, I want all the family to go. Oh, and he's part, I don't want him to feel left out. And he begged and pressed David. To David said, fine, fine, just go. Absalom said, this is great. So he sets up this big feast. He has all of his brothers there in attendance. And he goes to his servant and says, all right, when I give the signal, I want you guys to kill Amnon there in front. It wasn't subtle. It was murder at dinner time in front of everyone. Am Absalom didn't care what, who saw, he just wanted Amnon dead. And he wanted to make sure it was done. So, of course, he tells his servants in the middle of dinner, you can almost imagine him having the dinner. All of his brothers, he gets up and says, I've got an announcement. You could watch the servants getting closer to Amnon. They, Amnon and the 
rest of them, who pays attention to servants? They're all looking at Absalom. And then Absalom snaps his fingers. Maybe he points. Maybe he gives a speech. But at that time, they all kill Amnon. As soon as that happens, the rest of the party starts running for their life. Wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to stay around and say, I want to see what's going to happen. You're saying, oh, people are getting murdered. I'm out of here. And so they all take off and they all begin to run and they all begin to <laughs> flee. It's at this time here, Amnon is dead. Why is he dead? Because Absalom hated Amnon. What we see now is the fallout of it that Absalom flees for his life. Absalom flees for his life. In verse number 30, And it came to pass while they were in the way, that tidings came to David, said, Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and there is not one of them left. Now, the rumors started to hit. Shortly after this event, within hours, uh, who knows how long, somewhere within a, a small time frame, people from that party begin to come as they've been hearing the rumors and they go to David and say, David, all the king's sons, they're all dead. Absalom killed them all. <clears throat> but notice who is there at David's side to correct this. David, of course, hears this. He's upset. He's lost his sons. He rips his garments, falls on his face and begins to weep. His servants stand around him weeping with him. But then Jonadab, you remember Jonadab, that Amnon had a friend. The friend's name was Jonadab, who was a very subtle man. We could see this slimy, filthy sneak. David's crying. They don't know what's going on. But isn't it interesting that Jonadab knows exactly what's going on? Notice what he says. Remember, the news came, they said all of the king's sons were dead. They didn't say which ones were dead, but Jonadab knows. Notice in verse 32. And Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have, all, have slain all the young men of the king's sons, for Amnon only is dead, for by the appointment of Absalom hath this been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Notice how much information Jonadab has. No one has that information, but Amnon gets down. You can see David crying. Amnon, you can almost see him get down on one knee and kind of pat David on the shoulder and say, hey, all your sons aren't dead. Just Amnon. And it was Absalom that did it, and this is why he did it. That's a lot of information. Why did he have that information? Because he's sneaky and he's subtle and he probably has been talking to Absalom. Amnon's dead, needs a new friend. Absalom's his cousin too. And he probably heard about Absalom's plan. Isn't it funny that Jonadab pops up again with all this information? That's something about subtle people. Is that they're always in the background pulling the strings Always in the background with all this information and watching the destruction of others around them. It's one of the reasons why we need to guard our friends. Because Amnon had a friend who was a very subtle man. Absalom must have had this friend and told him all that would occurred. And he's telling David all this information when no one else had it. 
He goes on and <laughs> comforts or tries to comfort David. Now therefore, not let my lord the king take to this thing to heart to think that the king's sons are dead for Amnon only is dead. But Amnon fled. Ab or Absalom fled. Absalom took off. Why did Absalom take off? I mean, he didn't punish Amnon because murder is a capital crime. And murder is something that God commanded to be dealt with immediately. And this wasn't an accidental death. This was murder in front of witnesses. According to the law, and there was no wiggle room. David had no wiggle room. His righteous act as king was to punish evildoers. To punish murderers. Absalom was under the sentence of death. It was David that was to carry it out. And so this is why Absalom fled. He knew he murdered. He knew there was witnesses. There was no way he could get out of this. And that he had no expectation that David, even though he showed mercy to Amnon and never disciplined him. By the way, that was wrong mercy. He had no expectation that David would do the same for him. Because murder is even worse than what Amnon did. But Amnon took off. Or Absalom took off. Absalom went to hide. Where did he go, by the way? Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 37. But Absalom fled and, and went to Tamale, the son of Amhud, the king of Geshur. You're like, who in the world is this? Why did he go here? Because Absalom's mother, one of David's wife, was this wife was a heathen. She was not an Israelite. She was not a Hebrew. She was the daughter of this king. Basically, he went to grandpa's house in this foreign country, expecting that he would be kind of protected from David, sort of, maybe do something. But that's where he went. And he went and hid at grandpa's house. And he's going to be there for three years. Three years, David didn't do anything again. Again, David has a big fault in this. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 39, as this wraps this up here, is that the soul of King David longed to go forth to Absalom. So after three years, David wants Absalom to come back. David wants Absalom. David wants to be close to him. The problem was he was willing to accept Absalom back without having things fixed with Absalom. This is going to cause more of a problem. When David is refusing to punish his children, he, he falls into the same trap as Eli the priest, which it was said of him that he honored his sons more than God. You understand when a, when a parent refuses to discipline a child and they let them get loose over and over, that child has become your God. When you disobey God's clear command to discipline a child, to correct a child, and you let him go in his sin, or you restore him back and he hasn't gotten right, by the way, we'll see this carried out even more. The consequences of David not dealing with this it's going to blow up in David's face. And we'll cover about that more. That's to be continued. But we go back to Absalom. Absalom hated Amnon. What we see here is a man full of bitterness. What is bitterness, by the way? Let's learn 
about Absalom's bitterness. With this, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. We explained before that the root of bitterness had formed an Absalom, or Absalom, and it grew, and it grew. Where does bitterness come from, by the way? It comes from unforgiveness. When you do not purposely and intentionally forgive someone, when you don't deal with a situation, what happens is it gets buried. You think it's fine, and, you, and nothing's happening of it. But all you're doing is burying the seed, and that seed is growing. You understand that if you plant a seed in the ground, it will grow in the ground before it ever sprouts up, before there's any visible signs. When you don't actively and purposely forgive someone, you're not, <laughs> you're not just being a good person by forgetting about it. You are burying it and letting it grow. You have to deal with things that bother you. You have to deal with the idea that you think that someone wronged you. You have to deal with it. You can't just pass it off. And what we find in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 is a degression, a spiritual progression of what happens when unforgiveness is not dealt with. What's going to happen is that unforgiveness is going to turn to bitterness. Bitterness is a slow working poison that destroys its own container. When someone is in bitterness, what it does is it gives a bad taste in your mouth. When you think of a person, you think of a situation, it just, it's all of a sudden in your mouth, it just, it doesn't taste good. Just the thought of it kind of makes you a little bit sick. Well, if that bitterness is not taken care of, it will turn to wrath. Notice again, Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath. Let all bitterness and wrath. So it starts with bitterness. If bitterness is not dealt with, it turns to wrath. Wrath is like <coughs> heat in the inside. It's like if you had a fire inside of a mattress. You don't see the fire yet, but you can feel the heat. What's happening when someone goes from unforgiveness to bitterness, bitterness to wrath, that whenever that person or that situation is brought up, you can feel inside of you some heat. You could feel the heat. That's wrath. If wrath is not dealt with, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger. The next progression is anger. Anger is where the fire leaps out of the mattress. It's now where you can see the flames. In a person, whenever a person gets to the place of anger, what happens is that when they hear that person's name, they hear of that incident, that situation, their face contorts. There's physical signs that they are upset just at the mention of their name, mention of that situation. All of a sudden that smile is turned to an outside countenance. It is changed. The heat is now shown on the outside. Notice the, the progression in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. The word clamor carries the idea of an unseemly noise, a loud noise. This is where someone is slamming doors or throwing dishes down. or they say, I'm not mad. And they show it. They may not say it, but their body language, what they do is telling everyone I'm angry. I'm upset. It is carrying with their body. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, that clamor will move to evil speaking. 
That evil speaking is things that you purposely say things that are hurtful. You can't say anything nice about that person. Can you imagine someone go, going up to Absalom and say, Absalom, I hear Amnon's doing good. He, can't, he, he couldn't say anything good to anyone else. To Amnon, he didn't say anything good or bad. But to other people, maybe to Jonadab, he had nothing good to say about Ab, uh, Amnon. It was all purposeful heating. It's kind of like when a husband and wife get an argument. They could go from zero to 60 on this scale pretty quickly. And next thing you know, in the midst of the argument, they are purposely saying something to hurt the other person. That's evil speaking. The intention to hurt people with your words. If that is not taken care of, notice in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. The word malice carries the idea with the intention to do physical harm. Now it may start in your mind. You may not do anything outward, but inside of your mind you see them get hit by a bus. You, you want something bad to happen to them. You could imagine clippers cutting off their arm. You could imagine something happen to them. And if it's not dealt with, it will be dealt with physically, outwardly. How many times did Am Absalom plan Amnon's death in his mind? How many times did he, in his mind, put Amnon to death and figure out what's the best way to kill him? This had some forethought. This had some premeditation. He had thought about it before he acted upon it. This is the progression of unforgiveness. That it starts off where you're offended over something and you don't deal with it. You bury it. You just put it aside. And that will spring up and turn into bitterness. Bitterness will destroy its own container. Bitterness not dealt with will turn to wrath. Wrath will turn to anger. Anger will turn to clamor. Clamor will turn to evil speaking. Evil speaking will develop into malice. The idea of wanting to do physical bodily harm to someone. You say, how do I deal with this? Well, you deal with it by forgiveness. Notice verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Notice that wonderful phrase, as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. How has God forgiven you? Because of Jesus Christ, God has forgiven you fully. That idea fully means for everything. God didn't say, I forgive you for this, but I'll never forgive you for this. When God forgave us, he forgave us for everything. It was full. How did God, for Christ's sake, forgive us? Not only fully, but he forgave us frankly. That word frankly carries the idea of honestly. Aren't you glad that God was honest with us? That we don't go up to heaven and, and go to the pearly gates and God said, Ah, psych, I was just kidding. I didn't really forgive you. When he forgave us, he meant it. That means when we forgive someone, it can't be just words. We have to mean it. I forgive you. It has to be fully. It has to be frankly. It also has to be freely. Freely. No strings attached. You forgive someone no, <coughs> and they don't have to do anything in return. Some people try to negotiate forgiveness. If you do this for me, I'll forgive you. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness must be free. Jesus offered us for, uh, forgiveness 
freely. All we have to do is ask for it, receive that gift. We don't have to do anything to receive that forgiveness. That's how God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. That he forgave us fully. He forgave us frankly. He forgave us freely. Something else about it is that God also forgot about it. God forgot about it. You know what happens when we confess our sins? He puts our sins as far as the east is from the west. If you look at a globe, you could go north, north, north till you get to the top and then you'll start going south. But if you go look at a globe, you could go east, east, east all you want and you'll never run into west. Same thing with west. You go west all you want and you'll never run into east. The Bible says that he's cast it as far as the east is from the west. They'll never touch. You'll never see them again. It says that he cast our sins into the depths of the sea and the very bottom of the sea. You know, there's portions of the sea that you could put the grant, uh, put the highest mountain, which is Mount Everest, and put it in the water and it would still cover Mount Everest with over a mile. You want to know where my sins are? At the bottom. You know what that means? That means if I ask God for forgiveness... And then I say, God, you remember when I did that the other day? He said, you did what? He forgot about it. He will never hold it against me. Now, you say, but I'm not God, and I don't have a divine forgetter. But we do have a principle that if you forgave someone, you can never bring it up ever again. That also means in your mind. You have to get in the habit of forgiving someone, especially if you've been holding a grudge for such a long time that when you forgive someone, that grudge will try to go back up and you say, nope, 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 I forgave of that person. You can't bring it up again. When it tries to come, nope, 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 I forgave it. it I can't dwell with it again. You have to have a divine forgiver. You can't bring it up ever again to someone else or to yourself. It's gone. That's how God forgave us. You have to deal with offenses. It is much easier to deal with offenses when they're small, much harder when they've developed roots and they're grown inside. But you need to forgive people. And the reason why I mention this is because we all have to deal with this. We all deal with the idea of unforgiveness. We live in a world of offenses. Hopefully we're not as offended as the rest of our country seems to be, but you do do with offenses. Someone looked at you wrong. Someone did you wrong. Someone stole your parking spot. Maybe that's the offense is even worse than that. They gossiped about me. They hurt me. They said this. Whatever the offense is, you have to deal with it. By the way, I know there's some false teaching out there that says you don't have to forgive someone if... Um, if they don't ask for it. That's wrong. Forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. You forgive someone even if they never talk to you. You know, a lot of people who've offended you don't even realize they've offended you. So they'll never come and apologize. And if you try to bring it up, hey, I need you to apologize to me so I can forgive you. Like, what did I do? And you'll cause more problems explaining what happened than, than if you just let it go in the first place. You forgive them whether they ask for it or not. Because you don't need bitterness. Bitterness will destroy its own container. D.L. Moody often, when he would have revival campaigns, he would start the meeting like this. I want everyone to come to the altar. That's the beginning of the meeting. And he says, I want you to come, and if there's any bitterness, unforgiveness, deal with it now. Because bitterness is the number one thing that holds back God's power in a church. And most People have 
bitterness. That person at work that you just look at them and just raw. That person in your family, you think about them and all of a sudden your countenance changes and you could feel the heat just thinking about them. That incident that occurred, that situation that happened, you think about it and your mind goes back to it all the time. Maybe it's a situation that reoccurs. Jesus' disciples went, <coughs> uh, came to Jesus and said, How many times should I forgive my brother? And seven times? And Jesus said, 70 times 70. What is he speaking about then? Well, 70 times 70 carries the idea of infinity, that once you forgive someone 490 times, that you get in the habit of forgiving someone. But it carries the idea of that person doing the same offense the same day, 490 times. You understand? There are times that that person does the same thing day after day after day. You forgive them and 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 you don't bring it up. You don't bring it up in here. Otherwise, it will destroy you in here. It will kill you in here. Everyone has to deal with this including pastor, there are things that I have to make sure I don't get bitter over. So let me ask you, knowing that everyone deals with this, what's growing in here? What is causing that root to be growing up? Family, work, pastor. You say, how do I deal with it? I have a hard time. I want to forgive them. I'm glad you asked. Notice with me verse 32 again. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. If you really want to help your forgiveness to someone, give them a gift and do it anonymously. You say, but they'll never know it's me. Yeah, but this is again for you, not for them. If you go out to be a blessing to that person that you've got bitterness to, that's part of the, of the healing process. It is hard for you to be mad at someone that you're asking God to bless. It is hard for you to go against something that you're asking God to take care of them and be a blessing to them and for them to have good days. That's opposite. You don't want your enemy to have good days. It's opposite of what we think. Often when I say that, I often get suspicious wondering how many anonymous gifts I'm going to get. Deal with your bitterness. Don't let it grow. Unless you'll come to an incident like this. Absalom hated Amnon. Don't let unforgiveness destroy you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.